I was all ready to, uh, to come last week, and then the Lord had other plans. So <laughs> I'm learning to adapt. You know, sometimes it's, uh, you know, in my youth, I'd always just kick against the goads a little bit and say, Lord, I'm going to push here and push there. But sometimes you push and there's nothing there to push. <laughs> so that's the way I felt this past week. It's been, uh, it's been a rather interesting uh, uh, holidays, but uh, nonetheless, the Lord has been good, and it's been good to, uh, it's always good to be back in his house and to worship with you, and uh, certainly missed uh, our Christmas uh, service, and I was all planning on uh, preaching from Luke 2, and then I said, I can't preach from Luke 2 because now it's past Christmas, but we're going to be preaching on something that's very uh, connected to um, to Christmas theme, and that is in Matthew chapter two. You know, when we uh, when you think of the nativity scene, we always have uh, a picture of Mary and Joseph and the baby, right? And and typically in those manger scenes, we also have the shepherds, and we get a you know a, a look at the she- the shepherds, and and usually their sheep, uh, as well as other animals, uh, and sometimes. Uh, Lo and behold, people will put in there the, the wise men. And you go like, wait there, were they actually there at, um, at uh, the um, birth of Jesus? And uh, as we read in uh, other places in Scripture, we realize that they weren't, that uh, the Magi actually, or the Magi, were wise uh, men uh, from the East. And, uh, and I thought it would be interesting just to kind of look at uh, what, uh, what was it about that wise men as they come to um, look for Jesus and uh, because they saw his star in the east? And uh, <clears throat> there's not a lot of information, but, but what's interesting about it is that these men came seeking Jesus for one reason. And I think it's the one reason that really is the very essence of what Christmas is about. They came to find Jesus because they wanted to worship the baby. And that's actually very startling when you stop to think about it, uh, as you think about what actually were in the minds of these people. And um, sometimes you ask people, well, did you have a great holiday? Did you have a great Christmas? And, and usually people will say, yeah, well, you know, I got, you know, it, it was nice. Family was there, and that's always enjoyable. It's good to have your family and, and visiting together because you haven't seen each other maybe for a while. Uh, and it's always good to, to know that... Uh, you know, uh, and if you ask kids, well, I got what I wanted, <laughs> or I got more than I wanted, uh, hopefully. And, uh, but, you know, uh, if you ask uh, people today, was it a good Christmas or not, they look at, usually look at the gross sales receipts, right? And they say, well, you know, the sales were up. Uh, and you go like, well, you know, that's, are we missing something? You know, is, is there more to it than that? And, and I believe that as we study this passage and maybe just talk about it this morning, I thought we would just uh, read the first 12 verses, uh, the first 11 verses uh, of, or actually the first 12 verses of uh, Matthew chapter 2, and just uh, ask ourselves, what was it, what makes Christmas uh, really a special time? And what made it special for these wise men? And uh, because usually in this passage, we're going to see three responses to Jesus. And it's the same responses we get from people today. The same response uh, you'll see in our culture today is how do people respond 
uh, to the very fact that Jesus came. And, and when you stop to think about it, there weren't a whole lot of people that really were that excited or even knew that Jesus had come. You know, we think, well, you know, we celebrate Christmas, but I mean, think about it. At this point, the only people that really knew about Jesus' birth were Mary and Joseph, probably Elizabeth and Zechariah, and the shepherds. They heard about it because the angels told them, right? But other than that, there's not a whole lot of other people that seem to be even, even interested in the fact that Jesus has been born. And that's where we pick up in uh, Matthew chapter 2 is that, that Matthew has a different kind of focus. And uh, his focus is to, is to look at um, a Christ the King. And, and notice in verse 1, he's going he's gonna to mention uh, some things about this incident that I think are very challenging for us this morning. But notice this in verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea. For so it's written by the prophet, and he's referring there to the prophet Micah 5, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who shall shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring the wor me word, that I too may come and worship him. And listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them, until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary with his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. May the Lord add his blessing on his word to us this morning. Let's pray. Father, as we come to you this morning, we ask for your Holy Spirit to uh, enlighten our minds and our hearts that we might uh, not only receive from you that message that you want us to have, but Father, that you might uh, challenge us and you might uh, help us, Father, to see um, the, the things that the Magi saw as they came and beheld uh, the little baby, the, the baby that had been born, and yet uh, he was a king. And uh, they acknowledged that by their worship and by their adoration and by their thanksgiving. And Father, I pray that we might come with that same anticipation, that same delight, that same desire, Lord, that we would uh, worship at the foot of Christ, our King, uh, the one who you have sent, uh, God in flesh, uh, born in a manger, and yet... Uh, uh, is uh, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And we give you all the praise and we give you all the worship for all that you're going to do. Father, in us and in your church this year, Father, we, we come to a new year. And as we come to a new year, Father, we, we come with anticipation because we know that you're in the one that's in control. And we know, Father, that it's all about you and about your coming and about your glory and about your majesty. And, Father, may that, uh, Father, invade our thinking in all that we do and say this year. Uh, for your glory, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, 
Well, the last few weeks we've been looking at the birth of Christ, and so I, I thought maybe as we, uh, as you think about the, the, the accounts of Christ's birth, um, the uh, we we've been looking at Luke actually, uh, but we're going to but being, you know, having having looked at some of that uh, of Christ's birth and just seeing how how God arranged the birth of Jesus. I mean, you ever stop to think about how all of that, the timing, the place, all of that was all geared and directed by God, even though. There was a king called Augustus Caesar who basically said in his decree that uh, the world was going to be taxed, but God had something else in mind, didn't he? He had, he had one thing in mind, and that is getting Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem because Bethlehem was the city of David, and it was also the place where the Messiah was prophesied to be born. So God, God arranged that. Uh, God, uh, uh, God even arranged the accommodations. We, we sometimes think, well, you know, Poor Jesus was born in a manger in a, in a, in a cattle trough, uh, in a place where animals ate, uh, where, I mean, think about it, he's, uh, you know, the animals in, uh, I don't know if you've been in a barn, but they usually smell, right? Uh, there's uh, straw that's uh, urine soaked, and there's all kinds of other uh, things. Uh, and yet that's where God had, a con- had, had actually set reservations. This is where my son is going to be born. And, it, and all of that is designed by God to, to impress upon us that there's nothing in our lives that happens in our lives that Jesus does not understand or can't identify with. Think about it. He was born into total poverty, in effect. And no place for him in the end. Uh, we know that even Jesus said, foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. That was true of his whole life. So when you look at the birth of Christ and you see the humility and the, and the, uh, the humanity of Christ, you see that all through his life, it was a life in which uh, he connected with people who were hurting, people who struggled, people who were going through trials and difficulties. And I think that what that does for us is that we can never, uh, you know, when we look at Christmas, sometimes we forget that, that Jesus was identifying with us. He was identifying with our struggle. He was identifying with our humanity. Uh, he was entering to a world of suffering and uh, a world that was, uh, was uh, really, I mean, you think about it, was very dark. It was a very dark period. Because think about as as these magi, and we I always call them wise men, but uh, they you know it's but they were they were men who studied the skies. They uh, you know we would we would probably consider them a little quacky in a way because but they were they were in their own right they were astronomers, even though they probably also dabbled in astrology. <laughs> but but from their perspective, that when there were signs in the sky, it was an indication that something great was going to happen. And, and we don't know what the connection is. We don't know all the, we're not told uh, who they, um, what kind of contacts they had from the, from the past. But we know that they were from the east, probably from Persia, possibly from Babylon. And if that's the case, then they probably knew or had heard of people like Daniel. They had heard about some of the prophecies of the Messiah. And, and so they were men who were um, at least understood. But, but what happens is in the very first part of this verse, as you, as you read this, is that when they came to Jerusalem, so they don't come, so they're following the star going west, and they come to 
Um, I don't know why they come to Jerusalem, but maybe thinking that if there's a king to be born, obviously he would be born in Jerusalem, right? That's, that's the, the city of God. And they come asking, well, where is the king, where is this king of the Jews to be born? And everybody's going like, what king of the Jews? <laughs> what are you talking about? We don't know anything about this. I mean, can you imagine? The, so the, you think about the, whatever, however length of time it took. It at least probably took uh, possibly weeks, if not a month or more, or maybe even months for them to travel thousands and thousands of miles on foot at their own expense to come to Jerusalem to find the baby, to, to find this baby that is called Christ the King. You know, we're not really told all the details here, but, what, but apparently when they do come, no one in Jerusalem even is aware that Jesus has been born. Don't you think that's strange? It's, it, now, you know, this is not right as Jesus is born. This is probably months later. And still no one knows that Jesus has been born except for Mary and the shepherds. The shepherds have told people in Bethlehem, but none of that has gotten back to Jerusalem apparently. Or if it has, everybody just said, ah, you know, a bunch of crazy people. <laughs> you know, uh, well, I don't know what this, uh, this information is all about, but apparently didn't, didn't really register with anyone. Uh, and, but, but what's amazing is that these men are not Jews. They're Gentiles. They're outside of the covenant. They're not people that had the Old Testament scriptures as, you know, to look back on. They, they may have had some indication from other people like Daniel and so forth. But these were people who were, uh, for some reason, God decided to include them here for us to kind of be kind of amazed at the fact that here they are with limited amount of biblical understanding and yet what they did have, they, they operated by faith. They, they, they proceeded with, you know, with their understanding of what it was, and they said, well, this must be something worth our effort and our time. And what, what's amazing here is that Herod is the king. In fact, Herod had already been declared 30 years before this. He had been declared king of the Jews. What's even funnier or even amazing about this is that King Herod is not, not even Jewish. King Herod was from Edom. He's an Edomite. Uh, he had married into um, the, uh, the priestly family. He had married Miriam, and uh, he had uh, several children by Miriam because she was of the high priestly family. But everyone knew that he was an Edomite, and everyone hated Herod. Um, Herod was, was, the, was a very uh, conniving, cruel man to the point that uh, he actually, uh, uh, he killed his wife, Miriam. He killed his two sons because he thought they were competing against him. Uh, he had uh, Miriam's brother-in-law, or his, her brother actually, it would be his brother-in-law, had him killed because he thought that some way he was going to threaten his, his, uh, his throne. And so here you have you have this situation where Herod, he claims to be the king of the Jews, but the king of the Jews is actually being born <laughs> or has been born, and they're coming looking for him. And guess what? You can think that Herod's response is going to be, this ain't good. <laughs> In fact, the people are even concerned because they know Herod was of such a reputation that, you know, when he thought that he was threatened, he would kill people. Um, he was so, he was so, um, 
he was so wrapped up in his, his desire to be king that uh, before he died, uh, he wanted to make sure that people would weep at his funeral uh, and not rejoice. Uh, so he, he made sure that prominent people in the priestly family and so forth would be killed right at the time of his death so that there would be weeping in Jerusalem. I mean, that's, that's how insane this guy is. He's a, he's a, he's a cruel tyrant. And so Herod, uh, he gets this message, and you can imagine he, he's very, he wants to know who is this king of the Jews. Hey, this threatening my throne here. And so when Herod heard it in verse 3, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, and they're thinking like, oh, no, here he goes again. He's going to kill somebody. You know, we better watch our necks because here's Herod. He's going to be upset. He's going to be outraged. Very little, seemingly, their, their reaction doesn't seem to be that they're worried so much about the fact that, yes, maybe the king of the Jews actually is being born. We don't know how the star itself would indicate that Jesus was being born. I mean, uh, the connection, we're, we're just not, we don't have, a, but, but it just seems like they had at least, there was some, some, some way God had conveyed this to them, that this star had a, a purpose and that it meant that something, somebody great was being born who was going to be king. They didn't even know the scriptures at this point. In fact, they come and notice the, in verse 4, and so, so Herod kind of knows this, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquires of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written by the prophets. So they go back to Micah chapter 5. Micah chapter 5 basically says that, that the Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem. Now, what's interesting about this is that even Herod himself says, he even says, where is the Messiah, the Christ to be born? So, so Herod realizes that he's not the Messiah. I mean, he claims to be the king of the Jews. He's convinced Rome that he's the king of the Jews. But he's basically, he's kind of like a puppet king. Uh, he's basically keeping the peace because he realizes if he doesn't, then Caesar, who by the way, Caesar had himself declared the savior of the world. Isn't it interesting? Here are these big, fancy politicians. They're claiming to be somebody that they aren't. Caesar, Augustus Caesar, had claimed that he was the savior of the world. Here you have King Herod claiming that he's king of the Jews, when in reality the Savior of the world was born in Bethlehem. Nobody knows about it. It's, I mean, it's kind of, I mean, isn't it kind of the way that the world is today? We celebrate, so many people celebrate Christmas, they have no idea who Jesus is. They just know that, well, it's about, it's something about Jesus, something about Christmas, but it's really about presents. <laughs> and it's about, you know, it has nothing to do with the fact that Jesus was coming into the world to save his people, not only his people from their sins, but from, to, save, to bring salvation to the Gentile nations as well as to the Jewish nation. Um, and so it isn't amazing. Uh, what would your reaction be? Think about it. You are coming, you travel all this way, and you ask about where is the king of the Jews being born? And everybody goes, I don't know. I don't care. What's the big deal? What's the hurry? What's the interest? Wouldn't you be a little shocked by that? That here you are, you have, you have taken the time to do this and nobody seems to be caring. Nobody cares. We live in a world that doesn't care 
right? We live in a world, I mean, we are post-Christian and nation. We live in a world that basically doesn't care. We, we, but we can't base even our interest and in how we view Christ based on how people react and respond, right? Because if we did, we would, we would basically, would we, would we come, these men came to worship Jesus and nobody's worshiping Jesus. I mean, I think that's, I mean, that, that to me is like, you know, talking about being born in obscurity when there's no one that even recognizes that Jesus Christ has been born. I mean, I wonder what Mary and Joseph are thinking like, we're stuck in, we're stuck in Bethlehem and, and uh, we've just uh, spent the first, I mean, Jesus just spent the first night in a barn. The Son of God, the creator of the universe the Alpha and the Omega, and he spent his first night in a stall with animals. And, uh, and so the, but, but what happens here is that, interesting enough, is that they hear that Jesus is born in Bethlehem, and you would be thinking, well, certainly the priests and certainly the Pharisees, they were, the scribes were people who studied the law of God. They would have been excited and they'd say, you know, it's only eight miles to Bethlehem from here. We'll just go and look for Jesus too. They don't even do that. I mean, so you have Herod on the one hand. He wants to come and find Jesus because he wants to kill him. Because we know that that's what happens, right? He actually ends up killing the babies in Jerusalem that were under two years old. He finds out. So apparently, we, we know that. So Jesus is living in Bethlehem with Joseph and Mary. Uh, they moved into a house. We don't know what, where or, or anything like that. But, you know, Bethlehem is not that big. It's only a thousand, maybe a thousand people. And you would think, well, wait there. If the king of the Jews was born in Bethlehem, don't you think there would be somebody interested in going of the Jews? But nobody does. I think Matthew wants us to be shocked that here the Son of God, the one that they had been, they had been, they had been longing for, they've been looking for, they've been told that he's coming, that he's going to come and he's going to save his people, and nobody shows up. Nobody, and basically, it's basically, they're just totally disinterested. Uh, I would call it apathy, <laughs> indifference. Um, I mean, I think I, I, as, the, as the, I mean, as these men are thinking about this, they're thinking like, why are these people so indifferent? Do, do you ever ask that question, you know, as you think about people today? Why are people so indifferent to the one message that will actually bring peace on earth? We've been, we've been politicians and, and rich people and, you know, all these people have been... All these plans and all these conferences, all trying to plan and trying to come up with a way to bring peace on earth. And the Prince of Peace is born and nobody cares. It's the very message, the very message that deals with the heart of man, that, that brings salvation and forgiveness, and yet no one seems to know. They, they know the scriptures, but there's no grace accompanying the scriptures, nothing there to draw them to Bethlehem and say, look, we need to go and see this king. And, and it is amazing, as you think about as Jesus grows up, what happens? In his own, on his own town, he's, you know, he goes and he 
he teaches in the synagogue. And what do they try to do? They try to throw him over the hill and kill him. And then as he's preaching and teaching, people are saying, you know, you know, where did this man learn letters? <laughs> Total rejection all through his ministry. And you think about, here's the Son of God coming to save the world. And the world is basically saying, I really don't care. It's, you know, they're wrapped up in their political situation, their problem. So Herod's, Herod's response is, is hostility, but the world's response to Jesus is the same, right? What happens is that Satan has always the seed of the, remember the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent would always be at battle. And I think that as Christians, you know, one of the things that I think at least gives us, I think, at least a little insight as we think of, of, of how the world has forgotten the real meaning of Christmas is just to remember that there's always been this antagonism, this hatred. Satan is always there, and he's there with one intention. He wants to destroy the seed, or he wants to destroy those who are connected with the seed, right? I mean, think about Revelation chapter 12. If we were to go there, it says that this, it says here, um, I'll, I'll read this. The dragon stands before the woman who's about to give birth. That's a picture of Mary giving birth to Jesus. So that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is ruled to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God. And then it says, then he went out and he what? He fought against her children or his, the seed. We're Christ, the Christians, that Christians should expect that the world is not going to have a real fond place for Christians. It's just that they're going to be, Satan is going to be just as antagonistic. What we see today even going on in our culture is, is that we're seeing more antagonism towards Christianity. We shouldn't be surprised. I mean, we should pray. <laughs> And we should ask God, Lord, we need grace in order to go through this. But we shouldn't be surprised because the seed of Satan, Satan is always going to be fighting against Christianity. He's going to lose, but in the process, there's going to be suffering and there's going to be struggle and there's going to be, uh, but we shouldn't be surprised by, by the darkness that's often that surrounds us in, these, in those situations. But we also shouldn't be surprised at the apathy that people have the indifference that they have towards Jesus. But I, but I thought that the most important, I think, point of this, and that is in verse 9. So what do they do? What do the Magi do? They don't go back home. They press on. Notice verse 9. So in verse 9, after listening to the king, well, notice the king basically, he calls them aside and says, hey, we're going to have a private conference here. Uh, if you do find Jesus, I want to come and worship him. <laughs> you know the king's up to something when he has these private little sidebars. Well, obviously, he wanted to do something more, and that he wanted to get rid of Jesus. So when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fall down and worship him. Don't you, don't you find that intriguing? They come and see a baby... And they worship the baby. They know very little about this baby other than the fact that this baby is going to be king. 
and, and the presence they bring, we don't know if there were three magi. We don't know if uh, they were three kings. It could have been, could have been more than three. It could have been, uh, an, you know, more than three. We just we we use the word three there because there were three gifts. But notice they open their treasures, and what they offer is really gifts that become someone of royalty. Gold. One of the things the Persians did is that, look, if you, if, you, if you bring a gift to royalty or to a king, it always has to be gold. And I believe that, that the Lord was preparing Joseph and Mary for something, weren't they? How are they going to pay for living in Egypt for I don't, we don't know how long? When Herod comes and destroys and, and kills children that are under two in Bethlehem, Joseph and Mary are on their way to Egypt. And I think that probably the Lord provided financially for them through that gift. Um, so, that, so the gold was, was typical of a, a gift that would be proper for a king. And then secondly, the incense was used obviously in worship. That, that here, you know, that Jesus, they see something about who Jesus is and his, his deity, um, his majesty, that he's, uh, he's not only is he a king, he's a priest worthy to be worshipped, the high priest. And the myrrh, of course, the myrrh was used uh, to in burial. Uh, when Jesus was buried, uh, Joseph, it says that he, he, he uh, had more than 100 pounds of myrrh put into um, preparing his body. Um, but we know that Jesus' whole life was one. See, myrrh was a picture of humanity, of the fact that, you know, that... Uh, Death, it's, it's a picture of death. And, 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 it's, and it's interesting that, that they bring those three gifts. I, you know, you, we don't know why, why the connection and how they made the connection, but apparently they knew enough that this person that was born was very significant, that he was, he was more than just a, a, a child, a human child. He was more than just a king, that he was a priest, that he was more than that, that he was actually had come for a very specific reason. We don't know how they tied all this together. They probably didn't. But one thing they did is they operated on one thing that you and I all operate on all the time, right? Not based on explanations. Not even based on the fact that we even understand everything that the Scripture prophesies. It's based on faith. We, live, we walk by faith. Not by sight. It, there's so much of our Christian life that, you know, we say, well, how do you know this? Well, you know, I just believe what God says and I obey it. And you say, but, but you don't have all the facts. You don't, you, don't ha you don't understand all the details. And it's kind of like, you know, but, you know, my life has never been that way. Has, you, has, your, has your life actually turned out the way that you thought it would turn out? <laughs> I mean, if anybody says, raises their hand on that, I want to talk to them because it's like, wait, I don't think any decision I've ever made has turned out the way that I thought it was supposed to be turned out. You know, and, and you can look at, I mean, just little decisions and some are bigger decisions, but none of those turned out the way that I thought. In many cases, they turned out better. In other cases, they turned out I'm still asking the question, why did it turn out that way? But the point is, is that's all a part of walking and living by faith. Um, and I think that the, what's beautiful about uh, and striking about all of this is that the wise men continue to ask questions and they continue to pursue one thing. 
they wanted to come and worship the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, that's why we meet every Sunday, isn't it? It's about worship. It's, it's, it's really quite, worship is saying that the person that we are worshiping, we're coming to, is worthy of, of our devotion, worthy of our life commitment, worthy of, worthy of bowing the knee and acknowledging that he is king of kings and lord of lords. Um, and I can't imagine, I mean, I think that we have this picture here in a way of, of actually encouraging us to think about, hear the message, think of the people that have believed on Jesus at this point. We know Mary and Joseph, we know the shepherds, and then we have these, these Gentiles believing on Jesus. That's all at this point. And this might be the first year. Don't you think that's amazing? And then, you know, by the time Jesus is 30, he doesn't really start his ministry until he's 30 years old. So all of that obscurity, all that time, Jesus, God is preparing his son uh, to come and to not only be the prophet that was to come, not only to be the savior that would be, uh, that would uh, save the world, but, uh, but also to be the king. Um, and, and what an ex, ex, I think a striking example of what faith looks like. What, what is our faith? You know, we, we shouldn't be surprised. Uh, you know, sometimes, you know, you say, well, you know, we want this place full, right? We pray for that for 2023. We've been praying for that for 2022. It didn't happen exactly the way we thought it would happen. But the point is, is that what? God is the one that's in control of that. But really what God desires for worship is that he, wa he wants people who worship him in spirit and in truth. So you could have a house full of people who don't believe that Jesus is the son of God. And that doesn't make, you know, that doesn't make a whole lot of, doesn't mean anything to God. Except for the fact that it's blatant unbelief. <laughs> it's, it's, it's uh, you know, it doesn't bring glory to God. But the fact that God brings us here to worship should be an encouragement, I think. You know, if, you know, we may say, well, there were small in numbers, but, you know, don't let that affect the fact that when God looks at worship, he's looking at your heart. What do you bring him? You know, they brought gold and frankincense. They brought myrrh. But we bring our gifts, and one of the gifts that we bring in worship is our praise. We bring our prayers we use the means of grace. You know, the means of grace is we open the Word of God and we say, what does God say? I mean, I could be, you know, there are a lot of people who would say, well, you know, what, can't we just preach on something more current? <laughs> what is more current than the fact that Jesus Christ has come and that he offers salvation? And, it's a, and, and Paul says, look, when I go to Rome, guess what? I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. To what? The Jew first, then to the Gentile. For in it the righteousness of God has been revealed from faith to faith. And, uh, and that salvation is through faith alone. Now it's interesting as you read this closing verse. And they were warned in a dream. Not to return to Herod. They departed to their own country by another way. So they didn't go back the same way they came. Um, apparently the Lord knew, and well, obviously the Lord knew, and he told them to go back another way. But you know, when we come to Christ, you know, our whole life has changed, right? Their life was changed. I don't know all that they understood about any of these things, but I'm sure that they went back 
and probably if they had any, any uh, access to the scriptures, they were probably trying to read the scriptures and trying to find out and understand more, right? But in the meantime, what they did was what everyone, I think, should do. In fact, it is everything, a thing that everyone should do the new year is what is that? Is Christ has to be at the focus. He has to be at the center. It's worship. That that is what God's called us to. In fact, in all eternity, we're going to spend 24-7 worshiping and praising God. We will bow the knee because Jesus Christ is Lord. And we'll do that joyfully. And that'll be, we'll be spending eternity in worship. I can't think of anything greater. <laughs> I mean, think about everything that's connected to what you will do in life in the future will be all connected to the glory of God. And it all will be about worship. It will be about bringing our praise and our adoration. And see, wise men still worship Jesus, right? Wise men and women still worship Jesus, even today. Even in the midst of hostility and indifference, yet the one thing that people who are truly believers do, and that is worship the Lord. You know, um, I think about 2023, and we could say this about 2023, we look at a world that's indifferent, we look at a world that's hostile, but you know, as God's people, because of God's word, we get it, right? And the reason we get it is because God the Holy Spirit has opened our eyes to the reality of who Jesus is. And so this year, one of the things we do is we bring him our time, we bring him our gifts, we bow the knee, we acknowledge that he's both Lord and Christ, and there's really only two responses. It's either worship him or reject him. And that's the message of the gospel, right? That's the message that people need to hear this year. Uh, it's the same message. You say, well, you know, 2023 will be, I don't know what it has for us, but I do know that, we, that who is in control of 2023, right? And I think about what, you know, to look forward to. That history... All of history has been changed because this little baby was born. Because we call this what? The year of our Lord, 2023, right? Was history affected? <laughs> you be sure it has. Now, at some point, I'm sure that they're going to want to change that, right? Nobody's going to want to say, it's the year of our Lord, 2023. And they're going to, well, we can't say that in this civilized nation. And you go like, well, why not? <laughs> and so when you... Uh, Talk to people to say it's the year of our Lord, 2023. And it's all because of Jesus that we can say that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And Father, these men didn't know everything there was to know about Jesus, but what they did know, they acted on it in obedience. Father, may we do the same. This year, may this be a year in which we worship you in spirit and in truth. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing.